Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The following sermon was preached at the annual camp meeting held at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1978. It is preached by J. Wesley Adcock, and it's a very solemn message, but a much-needed one. It's titled, If I Make My Bed in Hell. I trust you will be stirred as you listen to this message. grateful to the Lord for the privilege of having taught at GBS a few years, and I'm grateful for the privilege to have come for the camp meeting. I'm especially grateful for the moving and the aid of the Holy Spirit in the camp. I can't imagine what it would be like to come to this point of the camp without any measure of his presence having been had. I'm thankful that we don't have it that way. We have blessed benefits of his presence. It's been a real privilege to labor with my co-laborers and the staff and students and those in authority in the school. I'm glad for everyone that has helped to carry the load of the meeting. I thank the ones that had responsibility concerning the offerings for the offering. I appreciate it and appreciate the good food and the kindness that's shown us in the camp. I want to share with you a unique scripture lesson. It's brief, just six verses. It is a very solemn scripture lesson. It's one that Jesus gave us It is strange in that three of the six verses are formed by the same words. Read with me, if you will, in the book of Mark, chapter 9, beginning with verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye and having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, 
where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. I'd like for my co-laborer, Dr. Taylor, to come and pray for me before we speak. Would you stand for prayer, please? How grateful we are, our Heavenly Father, that we were very conscious of thy presence at the first service of this camp. Thank How grateful we are tonight that that same positive, divine, loving, pleading Holy Spirit mm. we sense in this service and at this moment. We pray that thy overshadowing will be upon thy child, mm. thy son, Enlarge his mind and heart mm. this moment and touch each of our souls, O oh God. Yes. That we may receive good at thy hand. Yes. And that thou mayest be glorified. Through yes. Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Thank you. In Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, where I was born and reared and cut saw logs and taught school, I used to hear an expression akin to this. She made her bed, she'll have to lie on it. Meaning, of course, that she had married a man that was no good, and for this she must suffer. By the grace of God, I expect to go to heaven. I say by his grace, for I know enough to know that I'll never make it by religious works, but by his grace, I expect to make it inside of the city. But I haven't made it as yet. And I remember that some of my students have missed it along the way. And some of my preacher brethren have missed it along the way. If after having preached to others for so many years, something were to happen to me, if I were to lose my way and be forever lost, I would have a bed in hell and that at my making. And that brings me to my text. If I make my bed in hell, I don't know where you people that sit on my right hand are going to spend eternity. It may be I'm preaching to 103 people on the right side of this center aisle that will finally have a bed in hell. I hope not one. But what I do know is in that relationship if any of you ever have a bed in hell, it will be there at your making. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know where those that sit on the left-hand side of the center aisle will spend eternity. It may be I'm preaching to 117 people on my left that will finally have a bed in hell. 
I hope not one. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? In an attempt to deal with this text, I want to raise some simple questions and give you some partial, scripturally-based answers. And I wish I knew that I might have at least 50 people out of this congregation that would lift in prayer as I endeavor to speak. I appreciate prayer regardless of what subject I may be attempting to deal with, but especially do I appreciate prayer if I'm going to speak on the solemn, serious, scriptural subject of hell. If you know how to pray, I'll appreciate your lifting in prayer as I endeavor to speak. The first question that I ask is, if I make my bed in hell, what kind of a place will it be? I ask that question, and I'm keenly conscious that there are people, religious folk, who do not believe there is a place of hell. They would have us believe that the only hell there is is that experience of yours or mine of undesirable uh, experiences in this life. The sorrows and sufferings that are ours here, they would have you believe is all the hell there is, but that's not what the book says. Just as surely as there is a place in Ohio called Cincinnati, so surely somewhere in God's universe there is a place a place, I say, that God has called hell. And if I make my bed in hell, it will be a prepared place. Hell was not prepared for those that sit on my left. Hell was not prepared for those that sit on my right. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. For the devil was not always a devil, he was once a part of God's bright creation. And yet because of pride, he fell. And that ought to be enough to put a holy scare in every man's heart under the sun. Lest we, lest you and I lose our souls because of pride. And that ought to be enough to put a holy scare in every woman's heart under the sun. Lest she, lest you and you lose your souls because of pride. And because of pride, he fell, and when he did, he brought a host of the angels down with him, and God had to have some place to put the rebels and prepared a place somewhere in his universe and called it hell, prepared it for the devil and his angels. This prepared place is further characterized as being an enlarged place. Hell has been enlarged because man has fallen into sin. God created Adam in his own likeness after his own image and then gave him a wife and put him in the Garden of Eden and gave him everything that he needed to be supremely happy. And 
made only one restriction. He might have made a hundred, but he didn't. He might have made ten, but he didn't. Just two, no, just one restriction. A, a forbidden fruit, a fruit that he was not to eat of. But in spite of God's mercies toward him, in spite of God's goodness to him, in spite of his having everything that he needed to be supremely happy, yet he fell into sin. And because Adam sinned, sin has passed into every country under the sun and into every home in every country and into every heart of every home. And because hell has been enlarged, It has been enlarged to take care of everybody over here as an abode for the soul of everybody on my right that will not take God's way for heaven, to heaven. It has been enlarged to receive everybody on my left that will not prepare to go to heaven. This prepared enlarged place is also a place of torments. And when I get to this part of my little message, words so utterly fail me. For when I have done the best I know to do to reveal to you the full measure of the torments of hell, I will have fallen far short. I am persuaded that all preachers of all time never could tell you the full measure of the awfulness of the torments of the doomed and the lost. But if some will pray and if the Holy Ghost will be pleased to help us, I'm persuaded that we ought to be able to gather at least some of the message of the torments of hell by way of comparison or contrast. If it were possible to go back across the history of mankind, gather together all of the sorrow and all of the suffering and all of the sin and all of the misery and all of the torments connected with the red light district, and bind all of those sufferings into one great big bundle of suffering. That could only be a drop in the bucket in comparison with the torments of that last teenage lassie that went to hell from that place shall have to endure. And if you could go back across the history of mankind and gather together all of the sorrow and all of the suffering and all of the misery and all of the torment and all of the woe connected with the liquor traffic, in broken hearts and broken homes and dissipated bodies and wrecked lives, bind all of that suffering into one great big, big bundle of suffering that could only be a drop in the bucket in comparison with the torments of that last gray-haired man that died in sin and slipped into hell from this wicked city shall have to endure. If you could go back across the history of the human family and gather together all of the sorrow and all of the suffering and all of the torments of the battles of all of the wars that have ever been fought and bind those into one huge bundle. And some time ago I was up Harrisburg, Pennsylvania way, went into a museum, and there on a rather large area of wall space, somebody had painted a battle scene. Yes, sir, just a painted picture, but there were human beings portrayed as treating human beings more cruelly than you might expect beast of the barnyard to be treated. It was such a sad, gruesome scene that I didn't choose to look further, not further than perhaps three or four minutes. I turned my head in another direction. It was so sad to see. 
But if you could get all of the torments of all of the battles of all of the wars that have ever been fought bound into one great big, big bundle of suffering, that could only be a drop in the bucket in comparison with the torments of that last gray-haired woman that died in sin and slipped into hell shall have to endure. If it were possible to go back across the history of the human family, gather together all of the sorrow and all of the suffering, all of the misery and all of the woe connected with the skid rows of the cities of the centuries past. And some time ago, I was up Chicago way. Somebody took me down to skid row. And there was somebody's little baby boy that had grown to manhood. His hair was frosty with years. And oh, the marks of sin blighted by sin on skid row. Just a little piece from where I stood, there was somebody's little baby girl that had grown to womanhood and she was on skid row. Oh, the sad, sad plight of a soul with the suffering and sorrows and regrets in connection with the skid rows of the cities of the centuries past. But if you could get all of the torments of all of the skid rows bound into one huge bundle of suffering, that could only be a drop in the bucket in comparison with the torments that that last teenage fellow shall have to endure that died in sin and woke up in a devil's hell. With this question raised and partially answered, I raised the second question. And the second question is, if I make my bed in hell, if I make my bed in hell, with whom shall I reside? Who will be there, preacher? Uh, the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark. I think perhaps the most lengthy list to be found uh, in any single verse of the inhabitants of hell uh, is ours in Revelation 21 and 8. And the first one in that list is not the gambler. And the first one in that list is not the bank robber. And the first one in that list is not the murderer. The first one given in the list is the fearful. I understand Dr. Godby said the fearful are put first because there will be more of them in hell than any other crowd. I don't know whether that's so or not. I do know upon the authority of God's eternal word that the fearful shall be there. There will be individuals in hell because they're afraid to walk down an aisle of this sanctuary and kneel at this altar and acknowledge that they have a soul need. Their soul that will be in hell because they are afraid to go back and tell that cigarette-sucking, beer-guzzling, filthy joke-telling crowd that they got saved over that hole in this camp meeting. There are souls in that'll be in hell because they're afraid to go back and tell their blood relatives that they got old-time religion. There are souls that'll be in hell because they're afraid they can't live it. I don't want to go to hell and live with the cowards that are going to inhabit the loathing regions of the lost. If I make my bed in hell, I'll not just live with the fearful, but I'll live with the unbelieving. They are the second list given in that same verse of Revelation 21 and 8. Yes, sir. Uh, preacher, I'm a pretty good sort of a fellow. Preacher, I treat my neighbors right. And preacher, I do the best I can. And furthermore, preacher, I even help to support the church. And preacher, no, no preacher, I never was really born again. But don't you think, don't you think if I do the best I can, I'll somehow make it to heaven? If you want to know the truth while there's time to make needed amends about the whole matter, you can find help for yourself by turning to the third chapter of St. John. Read there where he declares, 
He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Not because he got drunk, not because he robbed a bank, but because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All you or you or you have to do to be forever lost is to fail to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not with your head, but with all of your heart. And if some of you precious souls sitting there would be willing to uh, confess to God your sins and then repent of your sins, you could get up there somewhere where faith would take hold. You could believe God for personal salvation. Unto those that believe, having confessed and repented, salvation is going to be a blessed reality. But the unbelievers shall be there. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with harlots and whoremongers. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the effeminate crowd. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with homosexuals. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the adulterers. And remember, there are at least three ways to commit adultery. Uh, Brother Stafford told us about that in one of the services earlier in the camp. One way to commit adultery is by the lustful look. Some people never will be in hell because they are guilty of the act of adultery, but will be there because they're guilty of the sin of adultery. Some people never have been guilty of the act of adultery, but they have dressed so suggestively as to create lust in somebody's heart, and they shall be in hell along with the individual that committed adultery in the, by the lustful look uh, unless they get right with God and get put under the blood. Another way to commit adultery is by breaking your marriage vows. And out of a congregation of this size, it would be hard to tell. Even I wouldn't know what would be a good guess as to how many men have broken your marriage vows and how many women are living double lives. But, but, but that's not the only way to commit adultery. Another way is by marrying somebody that has a living companion or when you have. Read it for yourself in Luke 16, verse 18. And here Jesus says he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Oh, I don't want to go to hell and live with a crowd that's going to be there. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with all the liars. In that verse that I've been referring to, it says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We live in such a lying age when husbands lie to wives and wives lie to husbands, when parents lie to children and children lie to parents, when people lie to the tax assessor and lie to the boss on the job and lie to the teacher at school. And some individuals lie about where they've been and others lie about where they're going. Some people lie about where they got the money and some people lie about what they did with the money. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the liars. I don't want to go to hell and live with that kind of a crowd. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the murderers. Somebody murdered the babe. Somebody wouldn't allow the little child to come into the world and to vote as to whether it got to live or die and, and, and was murdered by the hand of one of their own household. The Lord save us from such a kind of living as this. But wait a minute. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the drunkards. And if the liquor traffic were to advertise its product more true to its nature, they need to change the signs on the billboards and stop getting the pictures of some pretty girl to hold the glass of a sparkling, a sparkling beer. Instead of that, get a picture of a tumble-down hovel in the slum area of this wicked city where there's a carbide can on one side of a rickety table and a 
goods box on another and a piece of a broken down chair on another where there are little bundles of humanity that run and hide under yonder bed when the wicked beast of a drunken dad comes and put that on the billboard and they'll advertise it, the product more true to its nature. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with drunkards. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the covetous crowd. Somebody coveted the other man's wife and somebody the other woman's husband and somebody the other fellow's farm and somebody the other man's money and somebody the other fellow's automobile. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the covetous crowd. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the profane crowd. And it seems to me one of the most senseless sins there is in the catalog is the sin of profanity. To think of an individual using the breath that God gave them to live with to rail out bitter oaths against a holy God that never did one thing against them and is the bestower of every good and every perfect gift. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with hypocrites. If somebody surely takes the attitude, I, I would get saved, but there's so many hypocrites. Well, brother, I'd rather get saved and live with the hypocrites for a little while and die and go to heaven where there won't be one than to live with the hypocrites here and die and go to hell and live with them forever. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the backsliders. If I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with some church members. I had thought of that startling statement of Brother Stafford again, something to this effect. People, I think it was in one of his little books that he was selling uh, where the, the solemn thought had to do with individuals going to hell by the way of the church. I was so impressed with that thought some time ago and when I saw an individual that was so contrary to the way of holiness and, and to think of an individual going to hell by the way of the gambling joint or the gambling den would be sad, but to think of individuals going to hell by the way, by the way of the church and even by the way of a holiness church. I, I, if I make my bed in hell, I'll have to live with the vilest of all ages. But I, I ask another question, and the next question is, if I make my bed in hell, what shall my employment be? Preacher, what will we do there if we make our bed in hell? Uh, according to what Jesus tells us in Luke 16, if I make my bed in hell, I'll see there. I'm so very glad I can see. It's so good to see God's beautiful blooming flowers. It's so good to be able to see uh, the sunset and the sunrise. I'm glad I can see. But all of the seeing in hell adds to the torments of the doom. Preacher, what will we see? Evidently three things in particular. If I make my bed in hell, I'll see others that are safe over on the other side. The rich man down in hell looked across that impassable gulf and saw Lazarus over uh, yonder in Father Abraham's bosom. If I make my bed in hell, I'll see, see others that are safe. I, I, I can't imagine the torment of that man that this Sunday night is standing in the fires of damnation and looking across that impassable gulf and seeing a godly mother safe over on the other side. I, I may rest assured that the silly grin is gone and the joke is over while the solemn, serious certainties of a scriptural hell burns in his soul and he sees a, a mother that is safe over there. If I make my bed in hell, I'll not just see others that are safe, but see what I've missed. See what I've missed. I heard of a man that wouldn't get right with God. What was wrong, preacher? 
have a, a restitution of 100000 or so to make. No, no, a restitution of five cents. Can you imagine anybody letting five cents keep them out of heaven? Can you imagine anybody putting such a cheap price on heaven as to sell their hope of heaven for five cents? Well, that, that would be hard to, to realize, to be sure. And not only so, but they'll be seeing others, others that are lost. I had a man on a campground this past camp meeting season telling me of that awful experience that was his some time ago when he went down, down, and there was heat rising and he got the uh, heat to be faced up to and he got closer and closer and there was the mass of humanity lost in hell and the fires of, of hell tormenting indeed. But that's... That's just a drop in the bucket in comparison with what it'll be like when individuals uh, see others that are lost. Uh, preacher, preacher, what will it be like? Well, I don't know how to tell you what it'll be like, but it'll be unspeakably horrible to live in the fires of damnation and to see others that are lost. You get the picture this Sunday night as they turn and look across the ether waves of the doomed in that direction. And as far as eyes can scan, there's a sea of human souls. Some of them that used to attend GBS, you see some as they turn to the right and look across the ether waves of the doomed in that direction. And as far as eyes can scan, there's a sea of human souls. I suppose some by my family name and some by yours. You see them in the loathing regions of the lost as they turn this Sunday night, look across the ether waves of the doomed in that direction. And as far as eyes can scan, there's a sea of human souls, some of them that used to work where you used to work. You see them in hell tonight as they turn and look to the rear in that direction. And as far as eyes can scan, there's a sea of human souls, some of them that used to fight on the battlefield with you or you or you. I don't want to go to hell and see because all of the seeing in hell makes it a worse place to be. The torments of the doomed are intensified by the fact of what they see in hell. If I make my bed in hell, I'll not just see, but I'll hear. I'm so glad for the privilege of hearing. It's so good to hear these singers sing. It was good to hear my co-laborers preach and to have the personal uh, spiritual benefit that was mine under their ministry. It's so good to hear saints get hold in prayer and break through in prayer. It's so good to hear that little chubby-handed, innocent baby boy or girl as they began to learn to talk. Inhale hearing. But preacher... Inhale hearing. But preacher, what will we hear? Evidently three things in particular. If I make my bed in hell, I'll hear the language of sorrow. The language of sorrow cannot be expressed by words. They can't bear its message. The language of sorrow is expressed by weeping. Can you hear them in hell this Sunday night as they weep and weep and weep on all night long and all day long and all week long and all month long? Weeping, weeping. Do you hear the language of sorrow and the weeping of the doomed and the lost? Not only so, if I make my bed in hell, I'll not just hear the language of sorrow and the weeping of the lost, hear the language of distress. It's not expressed by words. They can't bear its message. It's not expressed by weeping. Uh, such won't suffice, but it'll be expressed by the wails of the doomed and the lost. 
To my knowledge, I never heard anybody wail. I don't know that I ever want to hear anybody wail. But Sister Rondell, a returned missionary from Peru, South America, was a, a student of mine in the Life and Letters of Paul class at Frankfurt Pilgrim College, and she shared a bit of personal experience and told about that time on the mission field when there was a horrifying sound in the distance. She aroused her husband to make inquiries to what she was hearing, only to be informed that somebody had died in that heathen land. They weren't just weeping, but there was wailing. Yes, sir, the language of sorrow and weeping to be heard, the language of distress in wails, and then the language of despair. The language of despair is not expressed by weeping nor by wails, but by the gnashing of the teeth. For every ray of hope has died and fled away, and they weep and wail and gnash their teeth. I'm satisfied that if I had the power tonight to lift the lid, as it were, off of a devil's hell and let my judgment-bound congregation hear the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of the teeth of soul that used to sit in this holiness chapel, I'm satisfied if I could lift that lid and allow you to hear for yourself the torments expressed by the weeping, the wailing, and the gnashing of the teeth that I wouldn't need to finish trying to preach this little message, but there would surely be numbers of you that would hurry to this altar and to Jesus to get right with God. If I make my bed in hell, I'll not just see and hear, but I'll feel. Feel what, preacher? Evidently two things in particular. Feel the torments of fire. Hey, Jesus called it hell fire. I don't know what that is like. I would suppose that it would be worse than the fire that burned in your, uh, in your stove or in your furnace this last cold winter. I suppose it would be worse than the fire that we know about here. Not, not better, but worse. Yes, sir, in hell, feeling the awful torments of fire. God let one man send his testimony back from hell, and he testified, I am tormented in this flame. How would you like for two huskies to grab you by your lower limbs and stick your head right in the fiery furnace and hold you there head first to burn? Preacher, are you trying to tell us that God would let us let me burn in hell? I would be faithful and tell you that if you won't let God save you, he'll let you burn in the fires of hell. Yes, sir, in hell, uh, tormented with the fires of damnation. But not only so. They, they'll, they'll surely feel the awful torments of a guilty accusing conscience. See that individual yonder in Evansville, Indiana, uh, crooked in his business deals at the bank and then, and then finally made all, all the distance between Evansville and uh, Indianapolis to be passed and he faced uh, the, all of the regrets that were his by his having been connected with shady deals in the bank and gave himself up. Preacher, why would anybody do that in the light of the electric chair, the gas chamber, or the penitentiary staring them in the face? I think you and you know the answer to try to get relief from the conscience that tormented them in the daytime and haunted them in the night season. If I make my bed in hell, I'll see, I'll hear, I'll feel, and the torments of hell will be intensified thereby. If I make my bed in hell, I'll also pray. Preacher, don't talk to me about praying. Preacher, I never did pray. And preacher, I'm not about to pray. Wait a minute, sir. Just, just a little bit, madam. Remember this. You'll either pray in this life or else pray in the next. You'll either pray in this life or else pray in hell. There's not a verse that tells us the rich man ever prayed one prayer here. 
but he prayed when he got to hell. Preacher, what did he pray for? Three things in particular. He pled for mercy. Father Abraham, have mercy. Have mercy. He had left a land where mercy was extended and having spurned mercy and went where mercy never would come, could come. I beg you, don't wait till you get to hell to plead for mercy, but have the benefits of mercy tonight. There's a God that is measureless in mercy. There's a God that is the Father of mercy. There's a God who has mercy that is from everlasting to everlasting. Don't spurn that mercy tonight and go to hell where you'll beg for mercy. It may be, it may be I'm preaching to some souls that will be pleading for mercy in hell before this month has slipped by. I hope not. I beg you, don't let it be so in your case. And not only praying, pleading for mercy, but begging for lost souls. He had five brothers and didn't want one of them to come where he was. I wonder who I'm preaching to tonight that now has some blood relative or some old schoolmate or buddy or a classmate in hell begging God to send somebody your way to warn you that you'll not come where they now are. Not only so, if I make my bed in hell, I'll pray for water, plead for water. Some time ago, a woman had a husband that was living in sin who died, and she went the whole day through without water. The second day, as I recall and understood and recall, she went without water. The third day, she had a message to this effect. I'd like to have a drink, but I'm afraid where he is, he wanting one too. I can't visualize what that would be like. I can't visualize what it would be like to be in hell, fire, pleading for water, never, never to get an answer. But that's not all. That's not all. If I make my bed in hell, I'll not just see and hear and feel and pray, but I'll remember. He said, son, remember. Going to hell to remember all the calls in the chapel. Going to hell to remember all the calls in the church. Going to hell to remember times when God moved in the college classroom. Going to hell to remember mom's prayers and dad's pleas. In hell to remember. Going to hell with a memory. Oh, I beg you, don't let that be your sad lot. I, I ask one more question. Uh, if I make my bed in hell, what road will I travel to get there? The road of sin has a, a bed in hell at the other end. And then there is the road of procrastination. Preacher, I'm going to get saved, but not now, not tonight, preacher. Uh, and, and going to hell, uh, putting it off uh, uh, on a way that is greased with excuses and alibis. And in hell, because they fail to turn away from the way that has a bed at the other end in hell. I beg you in interest of your soul, don't go to the, this prepared enlarged place of torments where you'll live with the vilest of all ages to see and to hear and to feel and to pray and to remember. Get off of that path. Get off of that path that has a bed in hell at the other end. Let everybody stand. Merciful God, our Father, we pray thee in the name of Jesus that thou wilt deal with every soul that is here traveling toward hell tonight. Thou dost know every individual that came to meeting tonight on the broad road that leads down to hell. We plead for every soul that has unfinished business. Deal with the unsanctified believer and the backslider and the hypocrite, every soul that is here with spiritual need. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire.
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855-USA. Glory and our hour, all across the